open your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 7, starting at verse 13. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will say plainly to them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash." wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came tumbling down. You can join me if you know it. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the sand went smash! You can admit it, that was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. When we were kids, we especially liked that last line, the house on the sand went... Fun. But the reality to which that line points is anything but fun. This is what's called in speech making a dramatic change of tone. The, the line that Jesus ends this parable with is anything but fun. The destruction of the one and only life that you get to live because you didn't build it on obedience to Jesus. 
Here at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, this countercultural manifesto, our Lord soberly presses on his hearers, including you and me, the necessity of deciding, choosing. There are two gates, two roads leading to two destinations, he says, verses 13 and 14. That was Pastor Mike's message of two weeks ago. There are two kinds of trees, good and bad, verses 15 through 23. That was Pastor Drew's message last Sunday. And now today in the final paragraph of his, the greatest sermon ever preached, he speaks of two builders and two foundations. The two builders have some important things in common. Both hear the words of Jesus, and both are hit by storms. Did you notice that? Verse 24, speaking of the foolish man, everyone who hears these words of mine, or speaking of the wise man, first of all, everyone who hears these words of mine, verse 26, now speaking of the foolish builder, everyone who hears these words of mine, both hear the words of Jesus. In the first century, there were two kinds of builders who literally heard the words of Jesus. They were there for the Sermon on the Mount. They were there for other teaching occasions of Jesus. They were there when he explained the parables. They were there and heard his debates with the religious leaders of his day. They were there when he explained his miracles, which were signs pointing to great spiritual truths. They literally heard him. And the postscript to the Sermon on the Mount says in verse 28 that when Jesus had finished preaching, the crowds were amazed. Unfortunately, for many of them in the crowd, that's as far as it went. They were amazed, they admired, but they did not put into practice what they heard. And in our time, the same reality is possible. We have access to the inscripturated words of Jesus. We hear his word proclaimed. We hear it in the media. And there are both kinds of builders sitting in the pews of many Bible-preaching churches. In fact, even if you don't attend church, even if your mother's Bible is gathering dust somewhere in the attic or on the shelf, in our country at least, it's hard to avoid hearing the words of Jesus, at least occasionally. On our way home from vacation last uh, weekend, we passed many billboards on the interstate with the words of Jesus right there, impossible to miss. We passed churches with his name on the sign, or his cross adorning the building. A Christmas is coming, and uh, even in the malls, those temples of secular materialism, we will hear Jesus' words played over the intercom. If you're flipping channels, chances are you'll encounter a, a preacher expounding on the words of Jesus. It is hard to not hear him But you know, there's no 
particular benefit to merely hearing Jesus' words. The last book of the Bible, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads, blessed are those who hear, and take it to heart. And take it to heart. Or, in the words of Matthew 7, put it into practice. Not much benefit to merely hearing if the builder doesn't put it into practice. Now this theme can be found throughout the New Testament. It would take the rest of the time available to us for me to cite every passage that uh, addresses the necessity of obeying Jesus. So let me limit myself just to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 5, 19. Jesus says near the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, but only he who does, does the will of my Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 12, verse 50, which of the uh, two sons in Jesus' parable are actually, or I'm sorry, this is chapter 21. Jesus tells a parable of two boys whose father tells them to go do something, and the one says, sure, the other one says, no. But the first one doesn't do it, and the second one changes his mind and, and does do it, and Jesus says, which one um, did the father's will? And the people answer properly, of course, the second one. And uh, chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus ends his uh, earthly ministry by commissioning his church to go make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything I have commanded you. May maybe you notice I left a word out. He doesn't say, teaching them everything I have commanded you. He says, teaching them to obey. To obey everything that I have commanded you. Obedience to Jesus is the only solid foundation on which to build your life. Hearing is not enough. Both builders heard. Both kinds of builders still hear today. But obedience to Jesus is the only solid foundation on which to build your life. Now, it's possible that some people might think all this obedience talk sounds kind of legalistic. Isn't ours a religion of grace? I mean, after all, none of us obeys perfectly. We need Jesus' perfect obedience credited to our account, not just to be reminded that we should obey him. And I'd say, well, amen. Um, next, I plan to preach Romans. Justification by faith. Faith without works, James says, is dead. Somebody might say, well, we know what the Father's will is. Jesus talks about doing the Father's will, and we know what the Father wills. The Father wills that we repent and believe the gospel. And I say, amen. 
But once we repent and believe, we don't say, well, all the rest of the commands don't matter. We have done the Father's will. Obedience to Jesus is the only solid foundation on which to build your life. Well, what difference does this make for you? It depends. If you have never acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, do so. If you've never accepted his free offer of pardon for all your sin and pledged to follow him all the days of your life out of gratitude, do so. If you've already done so, if you are a Christian, then the way this concluding paragraph of the Sermon on the Mount applies to you would be as a reminder that when you become a Christian, you not only receive a free gift, you come under the lordship of one who has the right to be obeyed. And perhaps some of us should not so much ask do I really believe? Am I in the faith? I, I remember believing when I was a little kid. I'm not sure I do now. I have some doubts on occasion. I, I wonder if my faith is strong. Maybe some of us ought to be asking questions like this. Do I ever do something simply because Jesus said to do it? Do I ever refrain from doing something simply because Jesus said not to do it? Am I obeying him? Am I putting his words into practice? Or am I only like the foolish builder who heard but did not practice? You say you're a believer? Great. Are you an obeyer? We read the Sermon on the Mount. We read rejoice in persecution. We read keep your marriage vows. We read, turn the other cheek. We read, don't judge. These are not words merely to be heard. They are to be obeyed. So don't debate, deliberate, doubt, or dilly-dally. Do it. Just do it. Otherwise, you're building on sand. And the house on the sand goes smash. That might mean that re relationships disintegrate. Might mean that your family falls apart. Might mean any number of things, even for those who have trusted Christ and accepted his free gift of eternal life, if they do not build their house on obedience to Jesus. The cartoon we saw is not far-fetched. New Testament scholars tell us that in Israel it was very important for a builder to think ahead. You might see a picturesque gully like the one we saw on screen. Looks inviting. Sandy hollow looks like a good place to build a house, but then the rainy season comes and the torrent sweeps through that hollow and the house disintegrates. 
So both kinds of builders hear Jesus' words. They have something else in common. Both kinds of builders are hit by storms. Verse 25, speaking of the wise builder. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Verse 27, speaking of the foolish builder. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Exact same words. Both kinds of builders are hit by storms. I know this comes as a surprise to some people who are just beginning the Christian life. Maybe they heard a religious huckster on television promising unbroken health and prosperity if only you turn your life over to Jesus and, of course, send as generous as possible donation to the address at the bottom of the screen. But the Bible is pretty clear that even after you become a Christ follower, maybe especially after you become a Christ follower, you get hit with storms. Rain, flood, wind, storms of temptation, and crisis, and personal trouble. Now, I don't mean to say that the rain represents temptation, the floods represent crisis, and the wind represents personal trouble. There are interpreters who think that Jesus used three different elements to indicate three different kinds of trials and that we can identify what those kinds were. I, I, don't, I don't think so. But I'm just saying, among all of the other trials and storms that might hit you, here at least are three, and they will hit you regardless of which kind of a builder you are. The storms of temptation, for example. Temptation. When tempted, the foolish builder hears but does not put into practice what Jesus says. And so when the really big temptation comes and hits like a hurricane, not prepared for it. He hears Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount that infidelity is such a serious matter that you would be better off gouging out your eyes than giving in to lust. But he doesn't put that into practice, and so the storm comes, the storm of temptation, smash. Marriage and reputation ruined where he hears Jesus say that anger is murder in seed form. Hears that, but doesn't put into practice the crucifixion of anger in his own heart, and boom, the storm comes, the temptation to blow up in anger and smash. Jesus says he's in danger of hell. preacher, a lawyer, and a doctor were all out deer hunting. They all saw a deer at the same time, all shot at the same time, but when they went over to see the felled animal, they had a debate about who shot actually killed the deer. Game warden came along, 
took one look at the deer and said, the preacher shot the deer. And he said, how do you know? He said, the bullet went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> what, did somebody say something funny? I'm afraid it's too often true. That the words of the preacher, which we hope, at least in a Bible preaching church, are the words of Jesus, go in one ear and out the other and do no good at all to the builder who does not put those words into practice. But when you do put into practice what Jesus says, you develop habits of holiness so that when the big hurricane temptations come, you've got some bottom. You've got a foundation. What about the storm of crisis? Both kinds of builders experience storms of crisis, seasons in which a culture, a society, a nation, a community go through crisis. I think of two pastors during the Nazi era in Holland and Germany. One pastor was pastor to the Ten Boom family. Some of you who have read The Hiding Place or seen the movie may remember a scene in which their pastor comes to visit. He's concerned because Cornelius Ten Boom, this godly man already in his 80s, is going out in the streets wearing a yellow star of David. He's not a Jew, but he knows that it's wrong to do what the Nazis have done to the Jews, and so he's identifying with them, and he wears the star of David. And the, the pastor comes and says, you must obey the authorities. You, you should not be doing this. And I hear that you are hiding Jews in your house. And Corey and her sister bring a little Jewish baby out and show the baby to the pastor and say, I think, if I remember right, that the authorities are watching our house and we can't always make sure that the baby is quiet. Won't you take him? And the pastor shrinks back horrified. I could never take that risk. Papa Ten Boom says, all right, pastor, I will no longer wear the yellow Star of David out in public, but we will keep protecting everyone who comes to us for help. The pastor leaves and the sisters say, Papa, how can that man even say that he's a Christian and a pastor? And Cornelius Ten Boom says, if a mouse hides in a cookie jar, does that make him a cookie? The other pastor is Martin Niemöller, who spoke out against Nazi uh, policies and um, was hammered for it. At first, they arrested him and questioned him and released him, probably because his was a prominent pulpit. And uh, although they threw a lot of pastors in jail for saying the same kind of things, they were at least at first reluctant to do that to Niemöller. But... Um, he kept speaking out against Nazi abuses and injustice and praying publicly for those who were imprisoned. And the Gestapo were there taking notes on his sermons. And finally, they put him away for good. A chaplain visited him 
in prison and said, Pastor, why are you in jail? And his answer was, why are you not? Which of these pastors had a firm foundation in crisis? Whose house endured? Who do we admire all these decades later for having built well? Now, you may be reluctant to use the word crisis for the United States in 2021. I won't quibble with you over vocabulary. I will just say that some people hear Jesus' words, be of good cheer, little flock. The Father has decided to give you the kingdom. But they don't put that into practice. In practice, they think that the government is going to deliver the kingdom, or a political party or a political messiah is going to deliver the kingdom. So they're not of good cheer. Some people hear Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount about worry. But then the economy tanks, the investments go sour, and they haven't practiced what Jesus says, and so they, they are worried, worried sick. Some people hear Jesus' words, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and render to God what is God's. They hear that, but they don't practice it. In fact, in practice, they render to Caesar what belongs to God. Caesar tells churches how many seats they have to leave open in their pews, and these people say, yes, Lord. Caesar says, you can't sing your hymns. You can only hum them. Yes, Lord. I could multiply examples, which is why I don't hesitate to use the word crisis. I think we are in a time of cultural, spiritual, political crisis, and we better make sure of our foundation. Trouble. Sometimes the storms that come are not societal crisis, but personal trouble. And here I want to be sensitive in my choice of words because I realize that a lot of my hearers have suffered a lot worse than I have. And if I haven't chosen my words well and the Holy Spirit is not pleased to use them, the response could be, well, easy for you to say, preacher. So I'll try to use... Uh, what Jesus says, and limit myself to what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. You hear, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. But the storm hits, you lose a promotion, or you lose an election, or you become a laughingstock in your high school because of your politically incorrect ethical stance. Are you practicing the words of Jesus that you've heard, including how he ends that paragraph, rejoice and be glad. Great is your reward in heaven. They persecuted the prophets the same way. 
where you hear, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. But you lose your job, your individual retirement account stinks, storms come, and do they reveal where your treasure in fact is? When the rains and flood and wind hit you, you want to be on the rock. And hearing the words of Jesus is not how you build on the rock. Putting into practice the words of Jesus is how you build on the rock. Obedience to Jesus is the only solid foundation on which to build your life. In 2010, some engineers did a test for the Institute for Business and Home Safety. They built two 1,300-square-foot homes in a $40 million laboratory to test the effect of hurricanes on house structure. The first home was built according to conventional standards. Not weak in particular, not bad, just conventional. The second home had reinforced straps in the structure that tied everything from the roof on down to the foundation. And the engineers turned on these gigantic fans generating wind of 110 miles an hour. That's about a Category 3 hurricane. The first two tests revealed no difference between the two houses. But the first two tests were less than 10 minutes long. Then they did a third test where the winds blew longer than 10 minutes and the house built according to conventional standards without the firm connection to the foundation fell apart. And the engineer working on this project said the bottom line of the experiment is which house would you rather be living in? Not a bad question. Let's pray. Thank you, our Lord Jesus, for giving us this countercultural sermon, which has sometimes over the past few months greatly encouraged us, and other times, maybe like today, challenged us. We certainly need both encouragement and challenge. We need your amazing grace to cover our failures to obey. We need your spirit to help us obey. So we thank you that the Christian life is more than obedience, but it is certainly not less than that. So not just for the moments in which our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, but in the days to come, would you enable us by the same grace that saved us to day by day live counterculturally 
live in obedience to the Lord Jesus. Live for him who died for us. For your own sake and for our own sake, we pray this. Amen.